0: Well, good morning, great to see you here today. And if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do. Go ahead and make your way to First Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2 and then going into chapter 3. Uh, you saw uh, that video real quickly there. We've been doing this series through this book on turning the world upside down. Because we read the first week in Acts chapter 16, 17. That they, as they went into city to city, the way they changed culture and changed the world... People gave them the title, Men and Women Who Turned the World Upside Down. So as we walk through the series, that's what we've been praying for and hoping that God would use us as a church to be a church that helps turn the world upside down to the glory of God. And if you are a guest here with us today, we're grateful to have you here. We had several in the last hour, grateful to have you here. And if you are watching online for the first time, we hope to meet you face to face in the next couple weeks. And this is just a, a sweet church and we stand on the word of God and so every week we open it up and see what it has to say for us, and it changes the way that we live. Because this is what God has called us to do week in and week out. Now before we read this passage, I want to set it up like this. Um, Time Magazine, uh, every year they do top 100 most influential people. Some of you have seen this, this, comes out every year. They actually did one at one point that was top 100 influential people in history. Now the one that I saw, it was it was interesting how they did this because they start and they say, This is top influential people, not the most powerful people, and they put a little caveat in there on the difference between the two, which I found fascinating. There's a difference between somebody who has power and then somebody who is influential. So they're like, we're not putting people in here that just have political power and have might like that, or they have a big corporation and so they have money and that makes them powerful. We're not putting people in here that just have strength and might, and that's why we're putting them in here, because they have all this might. Because in my words, not in theirs, but they say something to this extent, powerful people basically change things from the outside in. With their strength and their might and their, inf- and their uh, wealth, all these things, they literally change things from the outside in. But influential people, it's different. Influential people hit at the heart, the mind. And they change things from the inside out. So in this time magazine, that's what they highlight, people that change the heart and change the mind. Now it's fascinating to those of us that know the Bible well, our God has all power to change things from the outside in. He's strong, he's mighty, he's sovereign. This is who our God is. And yet, what God chooses to do is through his grace and his mercy, he changes from the inside out. He gives us a new heart, a new mind. And what we find in this passage today is a a picture of a community that God uses in His grace and His power and His might to change people from the inside out. And to change a city, Thessalonica, from the inside out. And to change a culture. And to ultimately, today, even change a world as we read it from the inside out. And so my hope is that, my prayer, is that as we read through this passage, we see A picture of the community that God created in order to change the world. So let's look, starting in verse 17, at the Word of God. And this is what it says. But since we, that's Paul and his friends, were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly with great desire to see you. Face to face. Because we wanted to come to you. And I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens, alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it came to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when we could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought the good news of your faith and love and reported that that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we would see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Pray with me. Lord, we ask this morning that you would align our desires and our will with your word today. Where we think that there is no way, Lord, would you remind us that you have made a way. Lord, help us to love as you have first loved us. God, I ask that you would give us wisdom to wed truth and grace together in our lives through our words. Lord, we ask that you would give us understanding to your word that we might grow in our faith, with the Lord, let me just invite you in this moment of silence to pray and ask that God would speak to you through His Word today. Pray to Him now. And then would you pray for me that I would be helpful uh, to you in the few minutes I have today uh, in God's Word. Pray for me that I would speak it well, Lord. We pray that you would help us to live like Christ today. It's in His name we pray, Amen. All right this this passage has a has a lot going on in it, right? Like you're reading, you're like what in the world are we gonna gonna do with all that? And what's fascinating is you have so many verses to basically say what could have been said in three sentences, right? He, he, sum it all up, he's basically like, hey, we missed you, we wanted to check on you, so we sent Tim to check on you. Tim came back and said you're doing well, we're happy about it. That's basically everything that we just read in that section, right? We could have just read verses 11 through 13, and that would have, basically summarized everything that I read in that whole section. Now before we too quickly just excuse this and be like, nah, oh, that's just the silly Bible again, using a whole lot of words, when it could have used a little bit of words. Like Before we just excuse it and just say it's our silly Bible, let's think about this for a second. Paul, one of the most influential men in all of history who came in and changed this whole city, has turned the world upside down, chose to write about his love and his passion in the community of the church with well more than three verses. I believe it's because Paul is giving us a little glimpse of what Christian community should look like. I think he's given us a glimpse in this conversation of what a community that changes the world looks like. And so as we read this passage, I hope as we unpack it, we see God's desire for you and for me... God's desire for us as a church at West Cabarrus to impact our city. What it looks like. And the first thing we see in this passage is that a people, a church, a person that changes the world is someone who's emotionally invested. Someone who's emotionally invested. What does that mean to be emotionally invested? That means that you love someone with a deep love and passion. That you rejoice when they rejoice and you weep when they weep. Like you care about their life. That's what emotional investment looks like. Another way to to think about it, just in a kind of business term, if, if you had a friend that was starting a new business up, and in this business they were looking for people to buy in, be investors in their business as they get started. And they came to you and they said, hey, would you be willing to invest X amount of dollars to help us get this business off the ground and going? you might say, no, nah, I'm good, I'll, I'll be rooting for you, I'm behind you, like I care for you, but but no, 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 we're, I'm not going to invest money. Like, you might care a little bit whether that succeeds or fails or not, just because that person you're kind to and you know them. But if you say, no, 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 I'm in, I'm invested, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to put it in there, like you really care about what happens in that business, right? Did we make a profit this month? Or are we behind? Am I going to give my money back? Am I not going to give my money back? Like, Why? What's the difference between the two? One, you're invested, and one, you're not. And Paul right here is saying that a community that's going to change the world is one that is emotionally invested, committed, not just holding things at an arm's length, but diving deep into a relationship. And he highlights that in multiple places in this passage. Actually, all throughout it, if you read it. But I want to highlight a few in verse 17. First, Paul shows his emotional investments because he says, Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time. Now if you can remember back a few weeks ago as we talked about this, as Paul goes into the city of Thessalonica, he's telling the goodness of Jesus Christ and how he left heaven and came to earth and gave his life to forgive them of their sins. But then ultimately to give them a hope through the resurrection. As Paul preached this message, people's lives were changed. Some people didn't like it. So they were trying to arrest Paul, they are trying to beat Paul, they were trying to basically punish Paul for sharing this, this gospel truth. And so Paul, for the safety of that city right there, and honestly for a little bit of the safety for him and the people traveling with him, they had to leave the city really, quick, really quickly. And so he says, we were torn away from you. And he's grieved over that. This word for torn away is a word that we'd use at that time in that culture to talk about somebody who lost a loved one to death. This is a word that we'd use in a funeral service to talk about a family who lost a loved one. And Paul, here as he writes this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says that's how we felt when we didn't get to see you, when we didn't get to have community. We, we were torn and our hearts were rendered in this he said, that's how much we loved you that's how much we were emotionally invested in you, but that's just the beginning of paul's emotional investment. He also calls them brothers, and this is a family term that they're using there, and Paul's been using family terms over and over again in chapter two because that's what the church is supposed to be like it's supposed to be like a family and not a Broken, dysfunctional family, a family that, that loves and cares and sacrifices for one another. So Paul right here says we were like brothers, and not like brothers like my, my two sons who are brothers who they love to fight all the time. Like that's not what he's talking about. But one who supports and cares for and loves, one who's emotionally invested Paul uses the term earlier in this chapter, this illustration of, we, were, we came to you like a, like a mother. It's another image of family. We came to you like a mother because a mother knows what the kids need and, 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 and doesn't expect anything in return. And that's how we came to you. We came to invest in you and to love you, not expecting anything in return, but just to love and to care for you. We came like a gentle, caring mother. Then he also says, we came like a, a father in verse 11 of chapter 2. We came like a father. We didn't just come in gentleness, but we also came to, to lift you up sometimes and to motivate you to continue down the path in which God's called you. And then here in this passage, and we were like brothers. All of this family connection and tie to show that we should be committed. We should be emotionally invested in our love for the Lord and our love for one another. Now, I know that for some families, it's like, I think family, and you think, somebody I see once or twice a year, and I don't really like spending time with them. Like, I don't really like seeing them. I'll give them a phone call every now and again, but like, that's, that's really my family. That's not the type of family that the community that changes the world has. In this passage, Paul's like, I don't want to see you once a year, or twice a year, or just send you a letter. Like, I want to see you face to face. Do you see that at the end of verse 17? He says it, we we wanted to see you face to face. And he didn't even say it just once. You fast forward a little bit, you look in verse 6, we long to see you because you long to see us. And then in verse 10, it says it again, we wanted to see you face to face. He even says in verse 10, we prayed night and day that we would see you face to face. They were like, we're just thinking about this all the time, we just want to be in your presence again, we want to talk with you, we want to see you face to face. This is a big deal. And the word that Paul uses in verse 17, it says, we had a great desire to see you face to face. This is fascinating. He didn't just say we have a desire. The word in the Greek is epi-desire. That we had a deep desire to see you. This is the only time in the whole Bible where this word, this epi-desire, is used to speak of something good. Every other time it's, A rebuke of don't lust after someone else with a sinful covetousness desire. And Paul uses that term that we would think, oh my goodness, to that end? And Paul's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our love for you, for the community of Christ, was so emotionally invested, we had a great desire to see you face to face. Church family, let me just say, as I was reading this this week and I was thinking about you guys, I was encouraged because I I heard some of this language from you as we were going through the pandemic. When we weren't able to gather together and meet. Some of you were calling or emailing and saying, I cannot wait until we meet together face to face. Because there's something amazing about meeting face to face. There's something that you don't get when you hop on social media or you watch online. As, As great as those things are and as much as I'm a part of those things, there's nothing like seeing someone face to face. You get to show how much your emotional investment is. You get to see how God is working in their life and changing their life, and it stirs you to do the same. I remember several years ago, there was a family that I had met with, and they were going through extreme loss and extreme pain. And as I met with them that week, I saw them shed tears and weep. And then Sunday morning, as we gathered together as a Christian community, I'm seeing them sing to the Lord and praise Him in the midst of suffering and affliction and pain. And I know what's going on in their heart and their life. And I'm like, man, that stirs my heart when I see them face-to-face praising the Lord in faith. They're not faking it. They're trusting in the Lord in that moment. We desperately need this face-to-face moment. We desperately need small groups where we interact and do life together. Church, much of our culture is withering at the vine because we think we have community and we have the facade of community because we have so many followers, we have so many likes. And God's word is showing us that a community that impacts and changes the world looks incredibly different than anything else the world has to offer. Anything else. I mean, look, look at this language that Paul is writing about that, that a church is supposed to have and a Christian community is supposed to have. He's using a word that they would use in a funeral service to talk about somebody that lost a loved one and how they're grieving. He talks about brothers being in a, in a family together. He talks about this great desire to see people face to face. This is the language that Paul is using in this moment. Now let me ask you this question. Now, genuinely think about it. Have you ever had someone really care about you like that? Have you ever had someone really care about you like this passage is talking about? And not in a romantic way. Not somebody who's trying to get in a relationship with you or trying to marry you. But someone who genuinely cares about you. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Or let me ask the flip side of that coin. Have you ever felt this way about anybody else or a community of people? Have you ever felt like what Paul is saying here, night and day we were praying, we cannot wait to gather together again. We cannot wait to sing to the Lord together and to praise Him and to encourage one another. Have you ever felt that? I mean, did you wake up this morning like, I cannot wait to be in church to sing to the Lord and to see the community of believers. This is what Paul is calling us to do. This is what God is calling us to do. And both of those questions, your response is probably like, no, I cannot think. Of a time that I felt that way towards somebody else. Or somebody's felt that way to me. And that is the point, church. That's the point. This is rare. This kind of community is not like what the world has to offer. This kind of community is the community that changes the world. And changes the culture. culture and turns things upside down. We look at it and we're like, that's rare. We haven't experienced that. We don't have that. And yet that's what God is inviting us into. That's what God is calling us to do, to have deep emotional investment. And yet for us, so many of us, we have a list of reasons why we cannot be emotionally invested like this. The world has taught us time and time again, make sure you guard your heart, put that Teflon around it, and make sure that you don't build any deep investments in other people because, hey, hey, we're a mobile society, just going to lose people. They're going to move to another city. So, man, let's just keep them at an arm's length. Let's not love with a deep love. Mm-mm, I'm, not, I'm not signing up for that. Or you've tried this, and you've been wounded by people that you've opened up to. That you've loved, and you've cared, and you've emotionally invested in, and you've been hurt. And yes, it's true. Being vulnerable leads you to being hurt. I promise you that's better than being isolated and alone. I promise you that's better than being isolated and alone. I love how CS Lewis says it in his book the Four Loves. He said to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrong, possibly broken. If you want to make sure you're keeping your heart intact, give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully with hobbies. And little luxuries and avoid all investment entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It won't be broken, it'll become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. Church family, that's the reality where a lot of us live. We don't emotionally invest in anything because we're wrapped up in our own luxuries and our own selfishness. And it's a dark casket. And it's safe. But it leads to a heart that is irredeemable. And I believe what we're seeing through our culture and in our lives, there's a lot of people that have lived like that. Let's never emotionally invest anywhere. And what we're seeing is the effects of that, we're seeing it everywhere in our culture, in our politics, in our churches. I don't know if you realize this, but in Charlotte, 85% of our churches are in decline. 85% church. Praise God by his goodness, this is not one of those. But 85% of them are. We know of five churches in the Charlotte location, um, Charlotte city limits that are going to close this year. We know three in Cabarrus County that are going to close this year. And it's because I think we get to the point where we stop emotionally investing in our community and in our church and in our city. And so we don't care if things go well or not go well. We don't care if people are suffering within the church or doing well in the church. We don't care because we're not emotionally invested. We're just going to ebb and flow in our own little selfish culture. And that's enough for us. But that's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to care so much about others that we would emotionally invest our lives in them. That we would pray for them, that we'd sacrifice for them. That we'd give our time and our energy and our effort to them. That is what God has called us to do. That is the kind of community that changes the world. And my prayer, church, is that we would be a church that would be emotionally invested here. That we would partner in ministry in the mission of Jesus Christ together with one another. That's why we call it partnership and not membership. Because we are partnered together. We are emotionally invested in the same mission. The mission and goal of Jesus Christ. So we're running after that. But I'm praying that it does not end in this church. But that God would use us as a church to impact these other churches in the area. Could God, could God in His goodness and His grace allow us to revitalize some of these churches that are in decline? Could God raise up in this church people that feel a call to ministry and to serve God full time in pastoral service? That we could be developing up pastors so when these churches close their doors, we're sending pastors there to help start a new church or to revitalize the church that is still there. Could God use us as a church in that way? That is my prayer. And I would invite you to pray that alongside with me. Church, we are not just about, well, we only care about West Church. I love the castle, but I care about the kingdom far more than the castle. And Christ's kingdom is coming and His will is being done. So let's get on board. As a community, let's emotionally invest, yes, here at our church, But let's also invest in our city, in our culture, that the gospel will go from neighborhoods to nations. So let us be emotionally invested in our church. But second, let us be people that change the world because we are not emotionally needy. We're not emotionally needy. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Paul in this passage tells them how much he's emotionally invested in them, how much he loves them and cares for them. But he's not emotionally needy. And what I mean by that is, Paul is able to speak truth to them. Hard truth. Sometimes sharp truth. And the reason he's able to do that, to speak that truth, is because he's not looking to them for acceptance. See, if you're looking for somebody for acceptance and for them to be happy then you won't tell them the truth. You'll just always tell them things that they want to hear. And Paul's like, I'm going to tell you hard things, and we're going to get into some of those hard things, even starting next week. Some of these hard things that you're going to have to deal with, where you're weak, but it's because I want you to take that next step of faith to follow the Lord. I want you to be blameless in heart and holy before the Lord. See, too often what happens is we become emotionally needy, and we're like, I need that person's acceptance. I don't want them to be mad at me. And so we'll love them and love them and not speak the truth to them. We'll love them and love them, but we'll never sacrifice for them because we need their approval. And Paul, his foundation of approval and acceptance is so founded in Jesus Christ that he can speak hard truths to them. Hard truths in love, he's emotionally invested, right? He loves them and cares for them, but he's still going to speak truth to them. And too often what happens for us is We become so emotionally needy that we have to be accepted and we have to make people happy and we have to please people that we never tell them the truth. We never tell them words of correction or words of encouragement that will spur them on. This is what a community looks like that changes a world. One that is not emotionally needy. And you see that all throughout this this section that we read. Paul writes in in, in verse 1 of chapter 3. He's like, I wasn't so emotionally needy that I always had to have people around me. He said, I cared about you and where you were in your faith. And so what I did is I sent Timothy to you. He says, we were left behind alone at Athens. Alone. Now, we read this and we're like, alone, man, that doesn't seem like a huge sacrifice. Like, way to be a martyr for the gospel, Paul. You got, you got left alone. I mean, some introverts in this room are like, man, that sounds really. Can I do that? Can I sign up for that? Like, and just be left alone. But that's because we don't understand the culture at this time. When when Paul says right here, to be left alone, the cities that Paul went to, he got thrown into prison. And in prison, it's not like our prisons today, where you get like three meals and some snacks and things like that, and people care for you. Like, no, no, no. The only way you got fed at that time was not through the government. It was through friends and family that brought you food. And so when Paul says right here, hey. I'm willing to be left alone, I'm going to be in prison, and I may or may not have food today, because I'm sending people to care for you, because I'm not going to be emotionally needy in this moment. I'm going to trust that the Lord is going to provide all that I need, and so I will sacrifice even to this end of friendships at this moment, so that your faith would grow and you would expand as a church. This is a community that changes the world, and I love it because he says, I wasn't afraid to be left alone, so, so why did he send Timothy to him? What was, what was Timothy's goal? Verse 10 tells us, it was to supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul wanted to get there to supply what was lacking in his faith. He couldn't make it yet. yet, So he sent Timothy to supply what was lacking in their faith. And it sounds nice and pretty, holy language in verse 10, supply what is lacking in their faith. But let me tell you what that really means. It really means... We've seen a lot of shortcomings and failings in your life, and we cannot wait to get there to tell you all about it. Like, you, you want to get one of those letters, like a, a text message from a family member? Hey, I am coming for Christmas and to tell you all your problems in your life and everything you're doing wrong. Awesome. That's encouraging, right? Like, what? But that's what Paul's saying in that moment. How in the world can Paul write this? You're weak and you're frail in some of these areas, and we want to encourage you he wasn't emotionally connected to them. He wasn't saying, oh, please, just accept me and just, just receive me and, and, and let me know I'm loved and cared for. No, he says, hey, we want to make it to you. And when we come, we're going we're gonna to share some hard truths with you. But all of that comes out of him being emotionally invested in loving them, right? He loves them. And when we take that step of faith to not be emotionally needy but to speak truth and love, then we get the same title that Timothy got in verse 2. It says, Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker. God's co-worker. And this word, your Bible might say servant, but that's not the normal word they use for servant in the Bible. It's not deacon. Deacon is a servant. And shameless plug right now, make sure to nominate deacons so that we can continue to serve the church in that way, right? But that's not what he's talking about when he uses the word here. This, the word he uses is not deacon, diakonos. He uses fellow laborer. synergos. Somebody you have synergy with and you work alongside together. It's fascinating. Because this is not Paul's coworker. This is God's co-worker. into that we would work alongside him for the gospel <laughs> this is amazing I, I don't know what you think about your co-workers some of you're like man I hate my co-workers I see him I'm just like oh I struggle with them or maybe you like your co-workers I don't know but I'm just picturing this language that God chose to put in his word to describe a, a follower of him sharing the gospel it's like we get to heaven one day and God's like hey let me show you around for a minute. Let me introduce you to all these different people. Hey, over here is my coworker, coworker Timothy. Come on, come on, Timothy, come on over here. You're a coworker in the gospel. I mean, that's a big deal. You know, you'd be called a coworker of the gospel of Christ, but that's what Timothy was. That's what God is calling us to do. Now, the question is, okay, how do we do that? How in the world do we do we not be emotionally connected so much that we can't be honest with them? What tells us in the second half of verse 2 of chapter 3, says Timothy came in there, the co-worker of the gospel of Christ, to establish and to exhort them in their faith. This is what it looks like for us to live on mission for Christ. We establish and we exhort. That word establish means that we are planted and we are rooted. They would use that word as an architectural term, like if a house was about to fall, you would stabilize it with something to keep it from falling over. He said, I've sent Timothy to you, the co-worker, and what is he going to do when he gets there? He's going to make sure that you are firmly planted in the truths of God's word and who he is. And where you're struggling and the the suffering that you're going through, which you talk about this in passage, he's going to make sure that you can endure through that. So you don't just have to walk through suffering, you can thrive through this moment. And this is what he's saying in this time. I want you to be established. I want you to be reminded. And so they had heard the gospel. They had heard the truth over and over again. But God's saying, no, I need to remind you about it. You need to not forget it. And we need that, church. I need that. Every week we gather together to be reminded of God's truth. We sit and we read God's word throughout our weeks so that God's truth and promises would rest in our heart so that we be established, so that when we go through those times of afflictions and suffering that the Bible says we are destined for, we can be stable. We can have a firm foundation. This is what God's Word is calling us to do. There's a reason why God repeats Himself so much in Scripture. It's because we're so forgetful. So let us establish, let's stabilize, encourage one another in our faith, that we continue to grow in it. But we got to understand that Christianity is not just planting our feet, we're established here, but we're also moving forward. We're not a static, stagnant people. It says we want to exhort you, which is to mobilize you. We want to spur you on, we want to lead you forward in your faith. So you might be coming to church and be like, I know all these things, yeah, I I, I know the books of the Bible, I know all these truths, God's Word is like, yeah, but you still got a lot to grow. And you still got to continue to move forward. And you need a community in your life that can be that honest with you. And know at times, yes, that they might wound you, but it's because they love you. This is what we need. We need to move forward in our faith. We need somebody that exhorts us. We need to exhort one another. Why? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says this, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. So we need to be exhorted every day, right? Every day that ends with day, that's what you need to be exhorted in, right? Why? So that none of you may be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. Our sin is so deceitful. We might think we're doing great. We're doing awesome. It's because our sin has deceived us. I believe this is why it's so easy for us to look at other people's life and judge them. Because it is so easy to see sin in everybody else's life. And we don't see it in our own life. And God's word is saying right here. If you really want to change a culture from the inside out, then it's going to start with somebody that's going to establish you in the truths of the gospel and continue to spur you on in the gospel. This is what we need, church. This is what we need. God doesn't want you just to, to make it through, but to make a difference. And the way we do this is in a community. And our, our culture today will, will speak against this kind of mindset of being able to love someone enough to ser- share the truth with them. Our, our, our world and our culture will say, yeah, just love people, love people, love people. Don't ever correct them. Don't tell people that there's moral right and wrong. Like, don't do that because then you'll, you'll ultimately hurt somebody. You'll, you'll, you'll wound somebody by doing that. So our world will say, yes, be loving. Eh, don't be honest and tell the truth to people. But God's word weds those two things together because they know this is what true love is. This is what real community is. It's fascinating. Proverbs chapter 27 says it like this. Better is the open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse or deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Just for a second, don't. Just for a second, let your mind rest on this verse. Don't miss what this verse is saying. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. What does that mean? There's going to be times when you need to speak truth to someone, and that is a wound. It hurts when somebody corrects you. It does, right? I mean, if you've ever been corrected, like, that hurts. But if they're your friend, if they truly love you, then that wound is out of friendship. But then the second half of that says, but profuse... Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Someone who only kisses up to you all the time, someone who looks to you and says, I need to be accepted by them, I need that emotional acceptance, I'm emotionally needy. That person is not your friend. The Bible calls him your enemy. Somebody who's not willing to be honest with you about things. That's, that's an enemy. So, this is the exact opposite of what our culture is preaching today. In church, we need to see this is true. We need to speak truth loudly and boldly, but do it with an emotional investment of love and grace. These two things have to come together. That's what God is calling us to do. If we want to change our world and stop just complaining about our world, this is where it starts. These two things. Now here's the reality of it. Here's the reality. I, I know because I feel the same pressure maybe that some of you are feeling right now. How in the world do we do that? How in the world do we step past our our doubts and our fears into emotional investment? And how do we move past our fears of acceptance and move into sharing truth, even at times if it wounds others? Well, I love where Paul ends. It tells us. It tells us one last thing that a community has if they're going to change a world. And people that change the world, community, a church that changes the world, will have their sight fixed on eternity. their sight fixed on eternity. Paul, in the last three verses of this passage, turns all of their eyes to look to the coming of Christ. And to look to the Lord. And in verse 12, he understands what he's just said in community. Man, how do we live like this? Verse 12 says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. said, you think you don't have it, what it takes to love like this? You don't. Glad you realize that. Now, where do I find that? Pray to the Lord that He would increase and abound in your love for one another, our Christian community, but then for all. It's not just to be here in a holy huddle. It's to go out to all that we would share this truth and love together. Why? What's the end? Paul, why are we trying to do all this? Is this just So that my emotional needs are being fulfilled? No, that's not his goal. That's not our goal. Is it to help us reach our personal goals so we feel better about ourselves? No. His goal is holiness and blameless hearts before the Lord. That's what verse 13 says. That you would have hearts that are holy and blameless before our God. When? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. His eyes are fixed on eternity. Christ is coming again. And there are people who desperately need this truth. They need this gospel. They need to believe in this hope that their hearts so desperately need and long for. So church, may we live in such a way that our eyes are fixed on eternity. I've heard it said, you can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. but That's not what God's word says. God's word says that those who are the most heavenly minded are the most earthly good. So let us set our sights on eternity, that we can impact our world today. Let's pray. Before we pray, let me just invite two people, two types of people, which would be everybody in this room, to respond to God's truth this morning. To my non-Christian friend in this room, maybe you've never seen a community like this. Maybe your heart has longed for a community that would, that would love you um, and that would be honest with you. That you would take that step of faith and then know that this is a, a church that's like that. But it's because that's what Christ did for us. His kindness led us to repentance. His love changed our lives. And know that that same love that has changed many of our lives in this room, for those of you that haven't taken that step of faith to trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus is calling to you today. He even said he came to seek and to save that which was lost, that which was far from him. So he came for you today. So that you could be a part of a community. Not a community that would never fail you, but a community that would love you and repent when they did fail. And so turn to Christ today and be a part. Maybe you are a Christian. You are a follower of Christ. But you haven't taken that step to be emotionally invested into a church. Take that step of faith to partner with us in ministry and mission. You can do that by talking to to me after church today or or Pastor David or one of our other staff. Any of the, the welcome people that have the lanyards on, you can talk to them. Take that emotional investment, that commitment to Christ and His bride, the church today. We know that we cannot take steps of faith without you. And so, Lord, would you stir in our hearts to be obedient to you? Give us the boldness that we lack. Give us the love that we lack. And, Lord, would you help us, Lord, help us to live for you today. That we would be a group of people that can impact and change the world. Not for our name, but for your name's sake, Lord. May your kingdom come, and may your will be done here at West Cabarrus Church, here in Charlotte, as it is in heaven. And Lord, we we fix our eyes on you coming again. Lord, you are our hope and our peace, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Church family, would you stand and let's sing to Jesus now.